Um, you know, we're, it's an anxious world. It's a busy world. Uh, and I needed that reminder for myself. I need it daily. The Lord is our shepherd. Uh, he's watching over us. He's going to take care of us. And so um, thank you for that. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, just before we uh, dive right into God's word, if you look on the screen, we do have one quick housekeeping announcement um, item that we need to take care of, GROW 201. If you're unfamiliar with GROW, GROW is actually an acronym, uh, which stands for Growth Resource Opportunity Workshop. It's kind of the way that our church trains and equips Christians to engage with God, one another, and the world. And so 201 specifically is to train you to read the, the Bible on your own. It's, you know, on the, the Sunday when we gather here and we have the Sunday experience, it's, we need to have this corporately. But how do we dive into God's word Monday through Saturday on our own? So this class kind of gives you a survey of the Bible, kind of gives you some tools in terms of how you can engage and read the Bible for yourself. Uh, I'm excited. There's a great turnout. So you can sign up in the patio outside or directly online. All right? All right. Hey, if you can take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Our theme uh, this year is A Church to Call Home. Uh, we are uh, kind of going after two series concurrently. One is the Voices series, but the other one is our journey through the book of Romans in the gospel of God. And so we're going to dive back into Romans this morning. And so I will be reading for us from Romans 1, verse 8. First, I, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by, by God's will uh, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, uh, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have uh, often intended to come to you, but I've been uh, prevented thus far, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, uh, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's the reading of God's word. You know, if you don't uh, kind of know me well, uh, one of the ways that I, I personally like to uh, break the ice in, in social settings, which I do not do well in, uh, but, you know, if I'm at a wedding and we're sitting at a table where we don't know anyone, which is, uh, you know, half of my nightmares that I wake, wake up from, uh, one way that I like to kind of break the ice is through uh, self-deprecating humor. And so, you know, I'll let people know, oh yeah, you know, this is my wife and, uh, you know, she graduated from Berkeley and she graduated from UCLA Medical School. Uh, and then I'll say, um, you know, I, I, I didn't go to UC. I, I couldn't even get into them. And then I was a history major. No offense to anyone who, you know, it's okay if you want to, you know, you, some of you became a, a lawyer. Uh, and then I went into church ministry, right? And so my punchline for my joke uh, is, clearly it's not very funny, but my punchline for my joke, some of you guys are like, is he okay? Uh, is, uh, you know, my wife is like every Asian immigrant parent's dream. And I am every Asian immigrant parent's nightmare. <laughs> but we got married, so it's, it's a reflection of the gospel. It's like a mystery, like how, how, right? And so that, that's kind of my, uh, my, my joke to people. And then they stop talking to me after I, I you know, <laughs> give that punchline. But, uh, you know, I, I bring up college because I was a history major. And to be honest, I don't remember much about what I studied. But what I do remember is my senior year, 
uh, every senior uh, who was a history major at my college, we had to write a, a senior thesis. It's like a, this 30-page paper where you, you choose one niche historical issue and you make a contribution. And so for me, you know, I wrote like first century Pharisees in Palestine, go figure, right? Uh, uh, but I remember as we were preparing for the, the research paper, our, our professors would say, before you do research, before you, you look in, before you even pick your subject, before you, get, uh, you start diving into this 30-page paper, there, there's one thing you need to know. It is the most crucial thing. It's the most important thing for your paper. And what they said was, you need a really compelling, clear, concise thesis statement. Because their argument was, it doesn't matter if, you, if the, the rest of the 29 and a half pages are filled with the most detailed research. It, no one cares. Because whatever that research is, it needs, to be, it needs to back up and demonstrate and prove whatever your thesis is. So what they were saying is you can do a lot of research, but you almost have to research your thesis. And so uh, the contention was, the argument was, um, you need to really focus in and, and come to a really good thesis statement because uh, if you don't, whatever you're going to write, you're just going to be going all over the place. You're not going to be guided by your thesis statement. And then the person who reads it, who gives you an F, um, they're going to be utterly confused. They're not going to know where, so even for the reader, uh, readers themselves, you're going to need to come up with a great thesis statement. Now, here's why I bring this up. Um, you know, we know that Paul, he's still introducing the letter of Romans uh, as we've, you know, he says things like, I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm praying for you guys. We'll get to that stuff later. And starting next Sunday, we kind of dive into the body, the, the argument of, of Paul's rationale and his logic, and, and it's going to be glorious. But this morning in, in the passage that we just read in verses 16 and 17, it is really his thesis statement uh, for the entire book of Romans. And his thesis statement is, and I'm going to read it first. You don't have to look down, but I'll just read it. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So uh, what, is, what does Paul mean? What is his thesis statement? What he's saying is, hey, everyone, guess what? Uh, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Or, or to put it uh, positively, he's saying, I have complete confidence in this news of Jesus about who he is, his death and resurrection, I have total confidence. In fact, if you press into the word unashamed, it literally means to not experience any type of loss on account of something. So I don't experience any loss of status. I don't experience any loss of, in terms of my reputation. What he's saying is, when I think about the gospel, there's full confidence. There's only massive gain. Why? How come Paul can say, uh, I have utmost confidence. I'm not ashamed of this gospel at all. His rationale, his reasoning is because this gospel contained in the gospel. What the gospel mediates is God's saving power, meaning God's salvific ability, his saving might, his ability, capability to be able to take sinners who are lost in their sin and reclaim them back into relationship with himself. And so what he's saying is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because when I, when I, the, the gospel is the power of God. It's this might of God to save sinners. You know, we have to be really careful here because often when we think about the gospel, right? What, what do we think? We're, we think like 
yay. It's like this fluffy, ethereal idea that makes my heart feel so warm. Like, oh, Jesus loves, right? Like that's, that's the kind of, some of you are like, well, why is he talking like that? Um, like that, that's the kind of vibe. No, no, you don't, when Paul, he, it, this is a declarative, authoritative pronouncement we know based off of two key words that the original audience would have totally understood. Number one, gospel, that word is euangelion. Uh, For the Roman citizens in their day, that word euangelion was utilized when a new Caesar would be born and they would pronounce the birth of the Caesar and they would say, behold the hope, the future hope of Rome is secure because of the birth of the Caesar. That pronouncement was euangelion. And uh, power, it's the word dunamis, which the Romans would have been well acquainted with when they saw the military might and dunamis of the Roman army. So Paul is not like, oh, he, what he's saying is, no, 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 like I'm not ashamed of this. Why would I be? This is the power. This is the dunamis of God for salvation, for sinners. And so it is this cosmic, authoritative declaration of good news that God is not done with the world, but that he's saving sinners. And so I'm not ashamed. I have full confidence in that. That's his thesis statement. And so the question that is begging to be asked of us 2,000 years removed uh, is, how do you feel about Paul's thesis statement, honestly, for yourself? Meaning, when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, I, I mean, do you, do you really feel the same way about the gospel? Like, do you really believe that it is the power, the authoritative, mighty power of God for salvation, and, and so you're not even ashamed? In fact, you don't mind standing up and proclaiming this news to our family, friends, in the public square, like, we, are, we have complete confidence. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way this morning? Because if we're honest, a lot of us, we're, we're even just a little tiny bit ashamed of the gospel, just a little bit of us, right? You know, if you're sitting here this morning and, and you would not identify yourself as a Christian, uh, I, I'm really glad that you're here. We're, we're, we're really glad you're here. You came to a great series because we're gonna unpack the core of what Christians believe. But if, you know, if, if you've ever wondered like, Christians are always shoving stuff down our throat, it's not entirely true. But to be honest, what we do believe, sometimes we are ashamed of. Isn't that true for those of us who have been going to church for many, many years? Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Here's reason number one. Reason number one is uh, because of certain intellectual properties in the gospel or what we deem as lacking in the gospel, right? Isn't that true? Like even foundational ideas that lead into the gospel, we're like, I don't know how to explain that. That just sounds weird. Like here's an example, right? Like um, it is difficult to be able to say, oh, like, so you asked me about the, the gospel. I mean, I'm so glad you asked uh, here at work or, you know, on my campus. Uh, so here's what I believe. I, um, I do believe uh, in a being. He's invisible, uh, but he does exist in three persons. I'll get to that more in a little bit in a second. Just hang on. But one of those persons became a man, and uh, he, he walked on this earth, and he, he died for my sins, and uh, he's back in heaven. And the other, one of the other persons lives in me, uh, in the Holy Spirit, uh, thank you. And, um, oh, and, and Jesus is going to come back on a, on a white horse after he slays the dragon from Revelation. You want to come to church with me? Like, that, that's, a, that's a difficult, that's what we believe, right? That's a difficult uh, conversation to have because it sounds like we believe in uh, kind of suspicious 
uh, paranoid mythology from the Bronze Age. And so some of us, we're a little ashamed of the gospel because intellectually, there are certain things that we trip up on. Others of us, we're kind of a little bit ashamed of the gospel because of its offensive implications. Paul did say that the gospel is an offense, and it is because it has certain implications for us. Like the gospel says that you and I, we are wicked. Who likes to be told that? I don't, even like, I don't even like saying that, right? Like, you're wicked in your sin. God is holy, and so he needs to judge you and me, sinners. That's offensive. You know what else is offensive? Here's what's offensive. Um, your righteous, your, your moralistic living apart from Christ, it is unacceptable. You can never do anything to earn your salvation. That is offensive. It is offensive to people who really feel like I'm doing the best that I can. I'm an upright citizen. You know what else is more offensive? It's offensive to say, and by the way, uh, you know, I'm a very open-minded person. Jesus is the only way to God. Exclusive. Do you want to come to church with me? Like that, that, it's offensive. And so for some of us, there's intellectual issues, but others of us, it's, there's, uh, it's offensive. Uh, and so the gospel, we're kind of a little bit ashamed. But here, here's my contention this morning. When I think about our church, when I think about the people in this room, when I think about you and me, I actually don't think it's intellectual or even that it's offensive that that's why we're ashamed of the gospel. I think there's a third, deeper reason why we're actually a little ashamed of the gospel. And here it is. The reason why I believe some of us in this room are actually ashamed of the gospel is because we actually do not experience its power regularly even though we profess to believe it. Meaning, we can regurgitate the gospel. We can tell the facts of the gospel. We, we, we can even like give all the, the theological terms and stuff, but in our hearts, moving forward, we don't feel this power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, this cosmic saving declaration, just it feels like hardly a whisper sometimes. Like, like, think about this. When is the last time you were deeply moved and impacted by the gospel? A couple of weeks ago? Like when a guest speaker showed up and maybe back in college or at some youth retreat? And so we look back and we're like, was, was, that even, was that experience even real? And so there's this sense in which we do believe the gospel. We know we need to share the gospel. But the reason why we're ashamed to share it is because, honestly, we're not sure how much we actually experience it. It's not tangible. And so we feel like we're talking about something that isn't even real and true for ourselves, even though we claim to believe it. And so here, here's kind of my, my heart, my aim uh, for this morning. Uh, my aim is to provide for us some directives, three directives for how moving forward in our Christian lives, we can be the kinds of Christians that regularly experience the power of the gospel so that we can, like Paul, say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So if you're, if you're sitting here this morning, you do not identify yourself as a Christian, uh, though this might not be directly aimed towards you, what I love is that you can see what we actually believe at the core of what the Christian faith is all about. But if you're sitting here and you're like, I am a Christian, but yeah, that's totally me. I'm a little ashamed of the gospel. I don't really experience it. This is directly, directed uh, specifically at you. So we're all invited, okay? So three directives for how we can be the kinds of Christians ongoing experience of the gospel so that we're not ashamed of the gospel, all right? Here we go. Here's directive number one. If you look on the screen, for those of you taking notes, the first thing is we, we must believe that the gospel is for Christians too. We must believe that the gospel is for Christians too. Now, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, but I'm gonna uh, 
the time I am going to spend, it's going to be sharp and to the point, okay? Um, Many, many Christians, even Christian leaders, believe that the gospel is not for themselves. Many Christians believe that the gospel is either a something of the past that we leave behind. It's like the entry door. It's the entry gate into the Christian life Then we say goodbye to. Or we believe that it's for sinners out there, the sinful people, the unholy people who need to be converted. That the gospel is for them or, for, or uh, something towards the past, but it is not for us today. How do we know this? Because of some of the, the nomenclature and vernacular of, of things that we say. For example, uh, you've heard Christians say things like, um, you know, like, man, I don't want to hear just the, the same elementary gospel over and over. Like, I don't want milk. I want solid food. I, want, I don't want shallow stuff. I want the deeper stuff. Some of you guys have heard people say that. You've said that, right? Well, the problem is that that, that term solid food, uh, you know, like in Hebrews, when, when he talks about that, you know what he means by solid food? The gospel. The gospel. Milk, uh, the elementary stuff in the book of Hebrews is actually the Old Testament, See, Christians, we do not graduate out of the gospel. We graduate deeper into the gospel. As Peter said, we grow, Christians we grow, in the knowledge of his grace. The knowledge of the grace that we've already received, the implanted word that we've already received according to James, we continually receive with meekness and humility. How do we know this? Paul in the book of Romans that we're reading and, and we're going to journey through, um, you know, this is the, Romans is the most comprehensive, detailed explanation of the gospel. It is glorious. Do you know who he writes it to? Not unbelievers. Not those who do not know Jesus. He writes the gospel, the most detailed explanation of the gospel to Christians and to Christians that it seemed like they did not have any real issues, like Galatians, they had issues, right? Uh, Philippi, they had some issues, right? Colossae, they had some issues. The church of Rome, no, we don't know what issues they had. But to them, to what appears to be like one of the best churches, he writes the most comprehensive gospel explanation to them. So as Tim Keller said, the gospel, it is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It's not just elementary where we're drooling, but we're learning to crawl and, and kind of walk. And then we graduate into predestination and, and a soteriology. No, 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 no. The gospel is the A, B, A through Zs. It's how we live the entire Christian life. So that when we do good works, we are motivated by the gospel for the advance of the gospel. When we sin, when we wrestle with shame, we apply the gospel by faith ongoing. We do not graduate out of the gospel. We graduate deeper into the gospel. So before we go anywhere, if you're someone, you're like, I don't know if I really experienced the gospel. You must be convinced. You must believe that the gospel is for Christians too. Even if you serve, even if you're a leader. Even if you've taught Bible study, the gospel is for you as well. Now, you might be saying, um, I believe that. I've believed that for a long time. But how come I, I, don't, I don't experience it? I'm amazed by people, how they're blown away by the gospel. I'm not blown away. Why? So here's directive two. For those of you taking notes on the screen, uh, d- we must digest, digest, the whole gospel, the entire gospel, in slices through ongoing faith. So we must digest the entire gospel in slices through ongoing faith. So now, now I need to break this down because some of us are like, what are you, are you describing the gospel? Is this, is this okay to 
using the terminology that it seems uh, inappropriate for the gospel. So let me explain. Um, the reason why we do not often encounter the gospel is not because the gospel is not powerful enough. It is because the gospel is too powerful for us. It is too grand. It is too glorious. It is too wonderful for our little minds and hearts to be able to digest through faith while we're distracted and stubbornly not listening to who God is. The gospel is too glorious and too grand. And so we don't even know how to, like we don't know how to ingest it. We don't know how to intake it, even exercise faith. We don't even know what that means. So often we're like, yeah, I believe, I guess. And so what we must do is take this glorious gospel and see all the specific implications, grace applications, and slice it down thin so that we can actually digest it by faith, so that it actually makes sense to us. Okay, so I realize I'm speaking very abstractly, so let me kind of break this down with an imagery. I I am borrowing and stealing this imagery from a pastor who spoke for our college group retreat. Uh, I asked for his permission, so I'm going to use it and take credit for it. Uh, to the glory of God. But if you look on the screen here, uh, do you see this picture? Uh, do do you know, anyone know what this is? This is, I got to get this right. I, I can't mess this up. This is traditional Italian dry cured ham. Now, I know some of us in here, you're vegan, you're pescatarian, you're, you're offended. Uh, intellectually, you're like, what's, what's going on? I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, okay, sorry. all right. Um, Now, here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you're at home by yourself, and you can can smile and laugh. This is a silly illustration, but you're you're at home by yourself. No one is home, so no one's going to watch you or judge you. But there's also no utensils. But it's just you at the dining table with this giant, glorious, traditional Italian dry-cured ham and Netflix. It's going to be a good day. But with no utensils, imagine that you take both of your hands, you pick this gigantic chunk of meat, and you, you try to take the biggest, most glorious bite that you possibly can. And you, you take like this big of a chunk. And imagine it's, it's in your mouth. And you're having a hard time chewing, right? Can it just, you're not going to enjoy it. And if you, if you do enjoy it, you're, you're weird. But you you're not going to enjoy it. You're going to be like, okay, I, I know that this is dry cured. I know, I'm, I know this was expensive. And, but what's going, what's going on? Like, it doesn't even make sense, right? Why? It's too potent. It's too much flavor. Too, too much salt. Too much cholesterol, right? It's just too glorious. We're like, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm faking it. Right? It's too big. Too powerful. But here's what I, uh, what I want to see. You know, if you took a knife and, and you cut a thin slice of this glorious ham. Uh, you, you know what you get? Check out this next picture. You know what that is? It's prosciutto. Oh, yes. <laughs> prosciutto sales will be going up today. Uh, I remember the first time uh, my wife introduced me to prosciutto when I was 23 years old. I ate it and I was like, my parents did not even love me. <laughs> right? Like, I'm scarred. I need counseling. Um, I, I, I cannot say no to prosciutto. I told the other services, like, I can eat prosciutto for breakfast, coffee and prosciutto, I can do it. If it was made into a dessert, I can do prosciutto cake. Um, I'm not ashamed, right? Um, it is glorious. But it, it only makes sense. You can only truly relish the taste 
you can, it's only digestible when, when you cut a, a small little thin slice and you, you taste the glory of it, that, that's when you can appreciate this giant, powerful chunk of ham. Okay, so in the same way, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. It, this thesis statement, it's like this giant gospel chunk. Jesus died for your sins. And he reconciles sinners to himself. It's, it's so glorious. It is massive. It's so potent. But what we must do is we must now take this glorious, massive gospel and slice it little by little. And I don't want to butcher this. I don't want there to be any beef. I'll be raw. Okay, okay. Stop, stop. This is getting out of hand. Um, we have to slice this, the gospel, thinly in a way where we can actually, by faith, intake it, meditate on it, look, look at it, uh, believe it again and again and again and again. So that when we see the gospel as a whole, it becomes this glorious picture where we say, I can't be ashamed of that. It is the power of God for salvation. You know what I love? I love that Paul, after dropping this massive thesis statement, that's exactly what he does for the next 10 chapters. He begins to slice this glorious gospel piece by piece, component by component, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And he applies it into the hearts of the the, uh, believers at Rome. Now, uh, this is why, by the way, the next few upcoming weeks and months are so important because all the preachers are going to slice this gospel piece by piece in the book of Rome, uh, Ro- uh, Romans. But for this morning, I, I don't want to steal too much thunder, but I need to give just, just a little taste. Just, just one slice, just a preview slice, okay? So here's a preview slice. You have peace with God. And I need to explain this. So, you know, when you read on uh, in the book of Rome, Romans, uh, his first argument really is, that we sinners, we, apart from Jesus, we stand in cosmic opposition as enemies of God. So it's not even like, oh no, there's this gap. How can we jump from this side to God? It's like, that's not even the imagery. The imagery is that a holy, beautiful, perfect, righteous God must deal with the evil that is humanity. That is not, that's not a fun picture. But then Paul begins to slice the gospel by using two big gigantic words. For example, word one is, uh, he uses the word justification. Justification. Justification is a forensic legal term, which really means in, in the, kind of in, the, in a court setting, someone is declared free. Someone is declared righteous. You're, you're, you're no longer held guilty anymore. The second big word that Paul uses, propitiation. That's a massive word to demonstrate that God's holy Justice, his, his wrath uh, before evil has been completely satisfied and removed. So what Paul is saying is, here's the beautiful gospel. Jesus died for your sins, massive chunk, but then he slices it and says, but, but because Jesus lived the perfect life for you, that perf- perfect life, his righteousness gets applied to your life. And your sinfulness was applied to Jesus' life on the cross. And so when you by faith receive that, when God sees you, he declares you righteous. It's as if you lived Jesus' life. You're justified. 
And so God's holy wrath propitiated. It, it's no longer over this dark cloud over your life, this cosmic judgment that's gone. And so he rounds off in chapter five by saying, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. So let's apply this, uh, this slice. So some of us, uh, you know, we've been going to church for a really, really long time. And, you know, you actually do say you believe the gospel. But actually, when you think about your relationship with Jesus and with God, there's very little peace. Because it, your relationship with God is very transactional. Right? Uh, you know, it's kind of like um, the way, it's kind of like uh, immigrant Asian parents pay bills at restaurants. Right? So uh, the bill comes out and it's like for 45 minutes, right? They're just like, I'll pay it. No, you pay it. No, I pay it. No, you pay it. Right? Just for 45 minutes. That's just, the kids are like, oh my gosh. Right? Uh, and then someone eventually pays it. But then next Saturday when they go to a different restaurant, same thing. They fight over the bill. I'll do it. No, you do it. No, I'm going to do it. No, you do it. Right? For another 45 minutes. But deep down inside the second time, everyone knows who's really paying for the meal. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's the ones who didn't pay for it the previous Saturday. It's tit for tat. You paid, I'll pay. Then next week we go to a more expensive restaurant and you pay. <laughs> then we go cheaper and I pay, right? But, but you know, we just do that thing to save face, right? And so some of us, we actually relate with God this way, right? You're like, oh my gosh, he has blessed me. And so now I, I, need, to, I need to kind of pay him back somehow. Uh, and so maybe now it's, Time to uh, be committed to this church over here. Or, oh, I got a tithe because I got a job finally. And so, you know, like, I, I don't want to anger him. And so he paid me. And so here, I'll pay the bill this time, right? And it's just tit for tat, tit for tat, right? It, it's transactional. And by the way, here's how you know it's transactional. Some of us, we're, we feel so indebted to God that you actually feel, you, you feel nervous. Like, you're like, you know, I know God has done all these nice things for me, but I don't know if I'm really like keeping my end of the deal. And so you're almost, you, you walk around with this, ongoing suspicion of when is that the, the, the God shoe going to drop in my life? Where I'm like, oh my gosh, it, it finally happened. That's because of what I did my senior year of high school. That's because of that sinful relationship. Oh, here it is. It's coming back now. Uh-oh, God, God is, right? God is like a referee with a clipboard and a, and a, and a whistle and he blows foul on you and he's just, wait, he's just waiting. He's like, oh, you stepped on the line. You're done. You're out of the game. And so some of us, Here's how you actually reason out bad circumstances. When something unfortunate happens, you actually think, oh, there it is. There's God being, I, I deserve this. I will absorb this situation. That's God punishing me. Yep, I knew it. Some of us actually relate with God this way. Even though you say that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You do not actually believe you have peace with God. You know, I shared this the last two services, but um, this may surprise you. This is the issue I struggle with most as a Christian. That may surprise you. You know, like, uh, there's not a lot of stuff that I, I have doubts about. And I think part of that is just, uh, there's not enough intellect for me to doubt stuff. I'm just like, I believe it. Uh, but, <laughs> but I don't doubt, like, God, the idea of God's power, full confidence. I think he could do anything he wants, and I really believe it. God's holiness, easy. You know what I really struggle to believe? That I have peace with God. That, that God, that I'm acceptable to God. That, that in fact, if I, if I sit down, God sees me and he's like, I delight in you. I treasure you, you're my son. I really struggle to believe that. 
and often in my life, there's, like, there's this perpetual, low-grade, ongoing anxiety where I feel like at the end of the day, I have to be like, let's see, what, what did I do? What did I contribute? What have I, wh- why? Because for me, it's my subtle way of saying, hey, see, see God, like when you sent your son, uh, you, you didn't waste his death. See, you, you, uh, like I, I was worth it, right? I was worth it. Uh, like you, you don't feel like I was just, uh, I'm not uh, just some dead weight, right? And so I, I perpetually struggle with that. It, it is an honest battle for me. And so for me, I, I need to actually stop and apply this gospel where I tell myself, I have been justified by faith. And so I have peace with God. At this moment, I have peace with God. That in, in fact, there is no condemnation None. Not for what you did your senior year of high school. Not for that sinful relationship that you were in. There is zero condemnation. Nothing. In fact, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You can run as hard as you want. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Which means that today, you and I, because of our faith in Jesus, because we've been justified by faith, we can actually enjoy the sun's warm glow because it's God's faithfulness. That later uh, when you go out and have lunch, you can really enjoy that lunch because it comes from his hands. And later tonight, if you're wrestling with something, you have the Father's full attention and you can go to him because you have peace with God. See, now, now notice, do you see how as the specific slice of the gospel is applied to your life, there is a growing confidence in your heart where you think, I can proclaim that. I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah, I'll be happy to tell people about That's good news. I mean, that is the cosmic power of God for salvation. And so we must not just believe that the gospel is for us, but we must digest the entire gospel in slices through ongoing faith. Now, uh, you might be asking, how, but how do I know that I actually am digesting the gospel? Like, what, what's the fruit, what's the result that should come out of my life? And so this brings us to our final directive, directive uh, three. We must pay attention to our attitudes towards others. We must pay attention to our attitudes towards others. Here's why I bring this up. You, you know, um, do you know how we know that we receive gospel grace? you will dispense gospel grace to others. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what someone says. Uh, oh, you know, I have this in my possession. I have that in my possession. You know someone really has something in their possession when they can share it, right? Like little kids, when you convince them, and I see this every five minutes, when you convince them this toy is actually yours, they can share it. That, that's why someone who is wounded because they've received hurt out of their woundedness, they will go and wound others. But those who have received healing, those who receive gospel grace, out of their healing and out of the gospel grace that they've received, they will also go and help heal and dispense gospel grace to others. True uh, grace, true uh, conviction of, of grace leads to shared grace with the community. Isn't that exactly what we see of Paul, by the way? Uh, Did you see his introduction? Did you hear what he said? He's like, oh my gosh. I think every time, I I mean, 
your faith is being proclaimed everywhere. Like, I know I'm the apostle, but you guys are like becoming famous for your faith. Everyone's hearing about it. That just makes me so excited. Zero insecurity. No competition. He's like, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that everyone is hearing about you guys. And, and then he says, I pray for you guys every time I think about you guys. Um, Paul has never met these people. I have a hard time praying for people I see every day. Paul prays religiously for people he hasn't even seen. And then he says, I can't wait to see you so that we, we can do this interaction where you, I encourage you. And you know, I know I'm the apostle, but you can encourage me and we can encourage, I can't wait to be able to do this with you. And I wanna go and share the gospel with you because it's the best thing that I can offer. You notice how gospel grace that he's experienced, he dispenses towards other people. That's a true test. You know, I showed this to two previous services. Uh, over the course of my lifetime, I feel like I've preached a healthy amount of sermons and done, like, led a healthy amount of ministry activities. And I think, I could be dead wrong here, but I think a number of them, it was genuinely for the glory of God and for the good of people. I hope. But I know for a fact a, a number of those sermons and events, it was not for God. It was not for people. It was for me. It was for me. It was for me because... I had to, I was so uptight about where I, where I stood with God and therefore where I stood with other people. And so I felt like if I prove my worthiness, then maybe I will be acceptable to these people and therefore acceptable to, to God. But when I really intake a slice of the gospel and believe that I have peace with God, I am free to relax and breathe and then actually see other people and their needs and to love and serve them. So there are three directives for us. If you consider yourself a Christian, um, to experience ongoing uh, the power of God for salvation for those who believe, we must believe the gospel, that it's for you. It's for you. We must digest the gospel, the entire thing, but in slices through ongoing faith. And lastly, we, we, we gotta kind of test ourselves and check ourselves in the way that we see other people, our attitudes towards other people. And so in, in conclusion, uh, I, I kind of want to give a two-pronged invitation. Here's invitation number one. The invitation number one is to people, someone in this room, you would not identify yourself as a Christian for whatever reason. And again, we're so glad you're here. But, but for you, uh, the invitation is, would you be willing to take a journey with our church as we go through the book of Romans to see whether this gospel really is the power of God for salvation. You know, maybe somewhere in your heart, you've been saying, God, if you're out there, show me. If you're out there, show me. Would you make another prayer today? Like, God, if you're really out there, show me how powerful this gospel really is and whether it's something for me. And so that's your invitation. But I think a, a, a large number of people in this room, it, it falls under a second invitation. You call yourself a Christian, but you really don't believe you don't experience the power of the gospel as salvation. And so would you also take an invitation and go on a journey as we go through the book of Romans that what we know we might experience ongoing. You know what's fascinating is when Paul here says salvation to everyone who believes, it, the, when you get into the grammatical like, of the Greek, it is not just a one-time belief. It is an ongoing belief. Oh, so yeah, we must believe for the first time, but we are invited to ongoingly, continuously believe. And so will you go on a journey with the church to say, God, 
I, I know I say I believe the gospel, but gosh, I have a really hard time believing it a lot of the times. Take me on a journey and show me how good your, uh, your gospel is. And so all of us, Living Hope, you're invited. Let's behold. Let's believe. Let's pray. <coughs> you know, as the band comes up, I do want to lead us into one prayer topic, which is, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> will you um, be honest with your, uh, your father, with your God, and maybe just confess, God, I, 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 I have a hard time believing the gospel sometimes. It doesn't really show up that often, tangibly, in my life. And in fact, there might be a lot of shame. There might be great condemnation. There may be great fear because we really don't know if we have a father in heaven who really sees us, knows our needs, even our wants, and cares about us. And so can we just open up our hearts and say, Father, I want to go on this journey with you. I want to go on this gospel journey to see just how powerful this gospel really is for salvation. Take a moment and pray and I'll praise.